Hello and welcome to the Overly Animated Podcast, where we take animation seriously. We provide fan-oriented and analytic discussions on a variety of animated shows, movies, and anime, including Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, and Rick and Morty. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Mel Moyer. Hello. Today, Mel and I will be discussing uh, Disney's Frozen, uh, the 2013 film. Been two years now since Frozen came out. Uh, we'll be looking back on it. We've both rewatched it, and we'll be discussing everything about the film. Uh, Mel and I have been going through the Pixar films, and this is not Pixar, obviously. Uh, but I put up a listener survey recently, and uh, it seems like a lot of you guys were in favor of uh, in more of contemporary discussion, uh, animated film discussions like Frozen and maybe uh, How to Train Your Dragon and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, so we're going to talk about Frozen today, one of... Um, Mel's uh, favorite films, I I think. I don't know. I do. I do love it a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's like an unpopular opinion right now, but I'm not uh, afraid to say I love Frozen. <laughs> we will discuss this. And uh, also, if you're interested in that survey, you can, I think you can find a link on our uh, Tumblr, overlyanimatedpodcast.tumblr.com. If you scroll down a little bit, uh, you should find that if you're interested in giving us feedback on uh, what podcast you want to see. So we're going to look back on Frozen today. Um, also, overly animated pod, overlyanimated.com is where you can find everything about us more at the end. So let's let's get into this. We both just rewatched Frozen, like literally right now. Uh, Mel, I, you're a big fan of Frozen. Um, talk to me about your kind of fandom of Frozen. You don't need to be like specific or how whatever you want to talk about, but like how you relate to the film. Um, what you were, what your experience was before it came out, it coming at it coming out, and what you've thought of the film since then, and then what you thought of it this time when you watched it. So that's a lot wow. of stuff, but that's yeah. A lot of stuff. Okay, so um, I was, I guess it's, I was very in, anticipatory is not a word. I was anticipating this movie a lot back when it came out, um, because I pay attention to a lot of D twenty three stuff, um. And that sort of thing. So I was like very hyper aware of every bit of like leaked frozen information that would come out like months before it came out. So I was very into it going into it. Um, and I just I really liked it. It's a really good movie. I, uh, I've i been obsessed with Adina Menzel since like 2004. So that was helpful. Uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, br- briefly, uh, this it's, it's not obvious. This film had like a fandom before it came out somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not obvious to everyone. Um, also, like, what what about this kind of drew you into it uh, before, you um, know, before it even come out? I love the idea. I mean, it's not Disney's first film to, to it, although people will tout it as, like, Disney's, oh, it's the first time that platonic love was more important, but it's not. But it is, I think, the first time that the focus was really on the relationship between two women, and it wasn't negative. I mean, I wrote a paper in, in college about how... Um, in Disney films, you're either historically you are either a sort of um, naive princess type trope or the evil stepmother, um, and that was like the case for years and years and years and years. And then we get into the '90s and it breaks away from that a little bit. Um, but Frozen was the first time I think they blatantly went out and had a movie that was about the relationship between two women instead of instead of an antagonistic yeah um, yeah idea an antagonistic relationship or 
um, it having be or having a good relationship like in Princess and the Frog and having it be sort of a background piece to mm-hmm. to the love story in the front. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that I just I really love and to this day still you know say that Frozen does get props. For yeah, that. and we and we knew that was or uh, you at least knew that was coming before the movie even came out, right? Because it got yeah. like there's like a book leaked of the movies. Yeah, the, uh, the, yeah. The novelization of the movie leaked in like September, so yeah. So we knew. So, so if you looked at that, you knew like what the plot of the film was before it came, but you also into it before that too so it's yeah. kind of just the yeah because they released some some stuff at the d23 expo yeah. um that summer so so talk to me about what's happened since then because like you were into this film before it came out and it's like okay frozen's gonna be a big thing but uh it's one of these things where it's gotten so it it's we're kind of past it now but it was so um societally relevant and popular yeah. um to usually what uh most people would think of as an off-putting extent right uh, so, as someone who was a fan of this, uh, you know, before this happened, what what what's your thoughts on the? Fa- has this affected your feelings on the film? This like social relevance that it gained. I don't think it really affects my feelings because um, I honestly did not. I don't think anyone expected it to do that. Um, and it was it was interesting because it was almost kind of a slow burn for the first couple of weeks. It was just like, oh yeah, Frozen's pretty good, and then like in January it exploded um because i it, it, like the first week of january it knocked beyonce off of billboard's uh first place uh for uh cds the soundtrack was number one on billboard um and it stayed there for like weeks but um i do think yeah like a lot of it is kind of oversaturated at this point and i think anyone's going to get annoyed if you're constantly told even if you agree with what people are saying like if you're constantly told over and over again the same thing about the movie, how important Let It Go was, how they wrote Let It Go, the the social relevance of it, the the personal rele- uh, relevance of it to to certain animators, um, which came up in a documentary, um, and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you're gonna get tired of it, which does suck because I think it does still say very important things, but that gets lost in sort of the the whole groaning of I'm sick of hearing about Frozen. Um, so my personal stuff really hasn't changed because okay. I'm able to step away from it and not not really care all that much. But yeah, it's like it's like yeah, we expected this you know this, this December Disney film to be huge, right? But you didn't expect Let It Go to be the most popular song in the country and the soundtrack to be uh, hearing you know, it on Q102. It's yeah, hearing a movie song on pop channels was just very odd, uh, and you know everyone being you know every like kids watching it a million times stuff like that so it's good that that hasn't changed your opinion and stuff so what do you think of it uh this rewatch what number rewatch was this for you and what did you think i don't even know um i haven't i will say i haven't watched it in in a bit um Um, it's been a few months is this like which what what is this like between three and five five and ten what um probably five and ten okay because so many people have when I was uh, living, I did, fun fact: I lived in Disney World and worked at Disney World right when Frozen came out. Mm-hmm. So, I was front and center for that onslaught of that. But a bunch of us, um, it, like we would go to see Frozen because it was still in theaters. So I've seen it in theaters a lot. Um, we would like watch it. Like if we were bored one night, we were like, "Hey, come over, let's get pizza. We all have off work. Let's watch Frozen." Like it was like the thing to do. So yeah. I've watched it a ton. Okay. Um, but. I, it's interesting because I went in expecting to say, okay, well, maybe now that two years have passed, um, just about my opinions changed, expecting maybe to agree with some of these people who think it's overblown. But I honestly don't think it is if you take out the social equation. Like, I think if you watch it kind of in a bubble just for itself, I think it's still very important. I think the writing is still 
pretty good. It lags a bit at times, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Um, but I think it's still pretty good for what it is. Um, the music is still very catchy. Um, the animation is still gorgeous. Um, and I can talk to you all about uh, the work they went through in that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, my opinion really hasn't changed. I still really, really like this movie, uh, even though the uh, the uh, citizens of Tumblr, I suppose, would uh, tell me not to. But yeah, I'm still I'm still very solid on this being one of my favorite movies. Cool. Well, I don't I don't know if anyone's telling other than this specific culture. I mean, maybe people are too oversaturated with the film, right? That's the only type of thing that I might yeah. see in terms of. I mean, there might be specific problems people have with that, which aren't necessarily invalid. But I don't know if that's representative of what our listeners might have heard of it. Um, yeah. So most coming from like the watched it a lot of times frozen fan which i think there are genuinely are a lot of people out there too so it's good that we have this perspective on here like probably at least a few of you listening is your still your ringtone it's still my ringtone i haven't changed it oh my goodness it's two years because i'm lazy yeah i I feel that uh yeah so this was meanwhile this was my second viewing of frozen uh that being said i have listened to the soundtrack quite a few times if i don't can't see my play counts right now because itunes new itunes is very dumb but i'll try to play it all the way through to the next song for it to count yeah but like it's not even displaying the play counts i don't know itunes updates every week or something anyway um i'll i'll try to i'll try to look at this as i talk but um I saw it when it came out. I have 22 plays of Love is an Open Door, right? So I have uh, am at least very familiar with a few of these songs on here. Spoiler alert, I love that song. But uh, it, <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like you might be anticipating me be, being somewhat negative on Frozen just because of our previous discussions. But yeah, I, I'm... So it, I don't know. It's hard to talk about this. Like this film is is one of those things that it's so popular that it's it, you want to not like it. Like... It's a bad attitude to have because it's dumb. It's illogical. But, like, you should view things critically for what they are and not their role in society. You shouldn't be hipster about things and, like, not like it. But there's still that tendency. Listen, Minions was bad because it was bad. Minions, was, yeah. All I, the yeah. kids love it. Yeah. Like, we can be, like, yeah, I want to be hipster about Minions. But also it was bad. Um, Frozen, uh, I, I did, I saw it, I guess, before there was this giant type about it, although I experienced the hype from Mel earlier. Um, <laughs> you know, and the months. the months before it came out. Yeah, and I, I liked it when it came out. Uh, I It was kind of before Let It Go was huge, and I was kind of blown away by that number in the film. I remember being blown away by that and uh, the ending. Um, uh, which, you know, the, the true love uh, sibling thing that Mel's talked about. Uh, I remember those two moments being just just shining through everything else in the film like yes this film has um narrative problems uh with its return journey um and yes Kristoff is a bad character but these i actually and th- upon this rewatch and let's move into that now these things were actually only like half an hour of the film um it was less bad not not that the film was less bad but the narrative problems were less relevant to the film than i remember them being uh so like to me frozen like there's there's the part of it which is narratively uninteresting in the middle and then also there's these um two really disappointing parts of the movie where like the overall theme is subverted by them reverting back to this uh this kind of disney um prince love type thing you know um this like the anna falling in love 
uh, the, it's there's two there's two moments where you just want it to go away. Um, one of them d- disrupts uh, for the first time in forever. There's that turning point in that song. Um, I, I wrote down, I can't wait to meet everyone. What if I meet the one? Right. It's so, like there that song has the section before that where it's about um, Anna like discovering the world and it's incredible and then it pivots and then it's like everything's about um her romantically right and it's disappointing it doesn't discount the song and like i think it's i think it makes sense with her character right uh but so the social message of the film is kind of subverted by that and then at the end um after we have this incredible scene with anna and elsa then we have we have to have the obligatory Kristoff um kiss and stuff like that but then we go that that's not where the movie ends it ends on on and also right so there's these two times where it's just where it's um disappointing like that and there's the narrative problems but that being said overall i feel like the the incredible parts of this film really shine through for me um there's three specifically i think uh i talked about the two before there's the let it go number which is kind of hard to uh conceptualize as like its own entity at this point right like because we've heard it so many times we've even seen the video so many times but like just if you try to view that objectively just in the context of the movie that that number it's i it's probably the best um movie musical number i've ever seen mm-hmm. like genuinely like that's super high praise right it's it's incredible the animation the uh it's context in the story the song itself it's so wonderful like I, I can't stress that enough, and um, that mo- that moment is just just stands out so much from the film. The ending with uh, Anna and Elsa, and the subversion of the typical Disney movie true love, uh, true love's kiss. It's incredible. I love it so much. The sibling love shining through as true love, uh, I, especially between uh, two females. It's it's one of my favorite things, like ever. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, it's no. so good. Uh, and the third one that really shines through to me is, um, I think I previously referred to this as the first 10 minutes of the film, but we actually start off with this kind of bad musical number um, to kind of set the, I don't know if you agree with that or not, I don't remember. What, you, the ice? The, uh, the, first, the first one, the frozen heart. Uh, I don't know oh, if you yeah. agree, I don't know if you agree if that's bad. but that's the, What was that, the, the honest trailer was referred to that as the song that everybody skips? <laughs> Uh, I'm not. I mean, not th- I, I have no opinion on it. It's whatever. Like it's yeah. I, I don't think it's like the worst, but uh, it's that's uh, the minutes five to fifteen of the film. I mean, basically. it's like contextually relevant because it's got like the, the sort of like the lyrics are like um, foreshadowing lyrics, and it's got lyrics from "Let It Go" in it, and then yeah, that sort of thing. It, it replaced um, a song in the original demo that was there was this whole. Um, going to be this whole subplot about like a prophecy about a frozen hearted like ruler who was going to like destroy mm. the kingdom so it replaced that in terms of foreshadowing and took some of those lyrics and repurposed them this movie is um certainly now without the typical disney the newer disney pixar dynamic of revisions 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 right yeah uh, which you kind of talked about on past pixar films these are so heavily manufactured these movies script wise um and you can tell that this movie uh, is it's 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 all over the place in terms of narrative elements. Okay. Uh, like it gets there and it focuses on what it needs to focus on, but uh, there's just there's just some. And that I think is kind of one of the big things that you said and I agreed with after you first watched it. It's that the first ten, fifteen, twenty minutes, and then you get to let it go and let it go ends, and Elsa kind of falls off the map. Yeah. Um, for the middle of the movie, and it kind of like 
that's when it starts, I think, to lose narrative strength and gets a little less interesting. Like once we get to the wolf chase, like I do get, I get really bored. I don't, yeah, I don't care about um, the wolf until chase at all. until we're back at the ice castle. So I think that's one of the huge. Um, that's that's one of the, the 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 biggest examples I think that you can see blatantly of the film of this like probably doing what they did with Toy Story a little bit where they pick the best parts of different people's scripts and I think that's that's an obvious one because Elsa just vanishes for like people don't like I don't realize I guess because she's the one that you know like people always associate this movie with but she's like not the main character yeah she's like maybe a main character but she's she's in the background for most of the movie yeah interestingly only jennifer lee is credited for the screenplay there's three of them for the story um but even if jennifer lee was the only one technically writing like you can still have set many revisions of her script right Mm -hmm. um by the way very notable jennifer lee the single female writer on the film and co-director uh you know great obviously she's uh doing a new one well she's doing a sequel but she's also doing an adaptation of um stitch in time for disney interesting Ah, Wrinkle in Time, yeah. Wrinkle in Time. I am so bad. Wrinkle yeah. in Time. I was like, that's not right. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, Wrinkle um, in Time. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, we've, uh, we've subverted diverted points. You're, I agree with you. After the door closes at the end of Let It Go, um, from like literally the door closes. From Beyonce that, mic drop. From the Beyonce mic drop. From <laughs> that until the time when they charge back into Arendelle, um, when everything's frozen and the fjord and stuff like that, uh, the movie is clearly not as strong as the beginning and the end. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like, it, but that being said, I, it's, I don't think it was, I think it was fine. Right. Upon this re- rewatch yeah. and it has its moments like them, they do go into the castle with, uh, Elsa and that was great. Um, but back to what I was saying, the, so the minutes five to 15, uh, basically the entire time that we're singing, do you want to build a snowman? Um, but it also continues into first time in forever and like love is an open door a little bit too. But, uh, I, I love, I love this so much, this like beginning setting the film, watching them grow up. Um, setting the story uh it's so it's so perfect i i love do you want to build a snowman so much uh elsa <laughs> oh my god we got it in. he okay. literally did that for weeks i did that for weeks like, and yeah elsa i think i've got my uh, little, uh one of the going. lee's daughters um not jennifer lee's daughter i'm sorry the lopez's daughter yeah voiced young anna yeah there's two there's two annas but uh one of them yeah Right, because there is aren't there two Annas? I think yeah, so. there are two Annas, but yeah. the younger one is their daughter. Okay, and then there's like three uh, or four Elsa. So Elsa one is the is yeah. the yeah. Okay, but anyway, yeah. Okay, so this do you want to build a snowman sequence? Uh, this is like this is the equivalent of the first ten minutes of Up, um, in that we're like using incredible using animation to its fullest extent in telling this uh, in in using these expository elements and telling this great story um but to me this is like better than the first 10 minutes of up which is already the greatest thing ever just because it's like young female focused right mm-hmm. and that's like hitting the wheelhouse for me and i actually genuinely cried through it this rewatch Aww. um like the first i think that's the dylan's cry watch this is the first time probably since the last viewing of um of uh, uh my girl my girl yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> every time on that movie but you can see the commonalities uh here that warrant this but yeah i just i love it so much do you want to build a snowman and for the first time forever is good it has it's kind of problematic and then love is an open door um 
like that song is stereotypical Disney like falling in love type song, but it's just such a good version of that. And I love that it sets up because the entire time you're kind of groaning, you're like, okay. And then they go to say, oh, we're going to get married to Elsa. And she's just like, (laughs) says the one thing that you've been waiting, I think, every Disney movie for someone to say is what? So I think that that was a really good um, Love is an Open Door is just such a great setup in in parroting like everything that Disney has is usually doing. Yeah. Um, And very specifically, like subverting this kind of Romeo and Juliet type thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, And it it almost it almost doesn't work because our expectation is almost to subvert it at this point like mm-hmm. like i don't know i don't know how to explain that better but uh it's it's like i don't know if we're all, it, it also it does seem fast to us i know we're kind of expecting it because it's a disney film but uh it's also so early and then you start to piece it together i guess um but that's okay. I don't know. I when I, the first time I watched, it, I didn't see Hans being evil coming, mostly because the movie specifically hides it. Like there's moments where he's alone, and uh, you still can't tell, right? So yeah. it doesn't really make sense. But it's fine that they don't they don't have to give it away. But it doesn't like logically make sense that he's evil, considering we see him alone in a few shots. Uh, Hans, I don't I don't know about what to say about Hans. Like he's not really that important. Um. Like, he's more of a character than Elsa, kind of, but (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) But I I don't know. I don't feel anything about him. I don't think his character's bad. I don't think him turning evil is is bad or good, you know? It's just, it's fine. Yeah, Uh, it happened. Yeah, I guess I like that it represents a... I did love, though, every time you go see it in theaters and he would say, like, whatever line that he says that's, like, the clicking point where you realize what's going on and everyone's just like <gasps> oh anna if only there was someone yeah, out there who and loved everyone, you like loses their minds quite verbally in the theater it was it was always fun i didn't make I, like this is a meme if only though there's someone out there who loved you i didn't yeah. con- i didn't connect it back to this film until now i don't know yeah uh, yeah that's did, yeah did, no that is that is a meme yeah uh there's it's annoying but there's so many parts of this film which are you know culturally ingrained at this point but uh anyway in conclusion there's these three movies uh, of Dylan's thoughts, which is what this was. There's these three moments of this film that just really shine through to me. And when I look back on films, I would rather have a film that was inconsistent, but had these moments of greatness. I've stated this before during like Avatar podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Um, they have these moments of incredibleness rather than one that was like consistently better than the average quality of this film, because these moments are what you remember. And they're, they like, have the rest of the movie hinging on it um so for me despite the fact that frozen like has this downturn in the middle it has enough of these incredible elements that it's like truly great to me yeah it did it did well where it counted like yeah even if, if these middle bits are kind of just fluff like where it was supposed to hit home like it very much did like yeah like the thing i want to compare it to is like i don't this is not gonna make sense to many people but playing a visual novel um it's it's like 50 hours and then you have the first 40 hours and it's that's not what matters it's the last 10 hours do you stick the landing like is it really interesting at the end does everything come together um and if you do stick the landing then it's more important that last fifth of it than the four previous four fifths and in this case they don't just stick the landing they have i think probably the best ending to a disney movie ever Mm -hmm. uh 
it's I'm not sure what the what the competition would be because the the thing the reason it's so good is because it subverts the previous ones, which are you know yeah. problematic. And Disney right? endings usually are very very quick cleanups, and usually the 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 not as great parts of the movies. Um, if you look at Beauty and the Beast, like the weakest part of that is the last five minutes because they've said before they said before too that they didn't have time or money to do it. But it's always the 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 ending wedding scene that's like. I think the most criticized when it comes to mm-hmm. Disney movies because they're just quick and they're clean up and then you don't really care. But the last, like I'm going to consider like Hans is if only someone out there that loved you from that point on kind of, I mean, I guess it's like the climax into the ending, but I consider that all kind of the ending yeah. um, specifically the sort of like true love's kiss inversion scene. Um, just so, so good. Um, the just, really really well done you're you're yeah you're bigger than me on uh disney movies do you do you think that my statement that this is the best disney ending ever has merit um i'm i'll say yeah because if i look at my other favorite disney movies the things i love about those are never the last 10 minutes it's usually something else in between like if you look at beauty and the beast like my favorite scene is obviously the ballroom scene um, or if you look at something like Tangled, people always remember from that, like, um, the, the duet in the boat, um, yeah. whatever it's called, uh, and that sort of thing. So I think it's interesting here that the strongest, let it go aside, the strongest point of, of this movie is its last like 10 minutes. So I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clearly minutes like five to 30 and then the last 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I need to rewatch Beauty and the Beast. I can't comment. Comparing it to Tangled, there's like this big Tumblr contingent. There was a there was a Greek tragedy. <laughs> what on Tumblr that like because <clears throat> well when it first came out and people who were very big fans of Tangled got yeah. very very uh, salty. Yeah, I've seen this through escalations on Tumblr. Like I, I only see I only see glimpses is of she, Tumblr. Is she in on it? She's all know. she's all about Tangled being like much better in prison. I I, I see I, I I see these uh these like moments of Tumblr culture through these very did. through the very few people that I follow. Uh but it's uh like there's there's a lot of there's these big Tangled fans I think who are probably like you know, like four years younger than us, right? Who Tangled came out yeah. like right in their wheelhouse of like emotions to things, to like teenager emotions, having emotions about things, and not being a stunted adult. Uh, but we're kind of we're kind of too old to like be in this uh, well, wheelhouse for Tangled. But but I still remember watching it, um, and I really like Tangled a lot. Uh, I, this is the comparison I drew back when this was like really a big thing, um, like. 2013 or i guess it was like 2014 like january through february um but the comparison i drew that is if you take sort of the second disney renaissance which started with the little mermaid and ended like around pocahontas or tarzan little mermaid is the movie that kind of kicked that off like it it, it's the movie that um started this slew of really really good high quality um disney animated films in the 90s but it's not considered the best one out of that that sort of decade of films because it was immediately followed by Beauty and the Beast, which is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest um, Disney animated film of all time, like IGN or IGN, ING, I get dyslexia, but that IGN um, ranked it as the best animated film of all time. I don't think, let's not place merit on IGN's list. This is my point. point. So like the, the first one that kind of did the technological advancements kicked off the the style of films that that 
was going to be happening after that isn't remembered as sort of the pinnacle of of that era of Disney films. It's a similar thing here, I think, where Tangled introduced a new style of animation for Disney, um, a new way to do a story, and was really, really popular, did really, really well with it, but isn't at this point considered sort of the, the, the there's only like two of them, but the between the two of them, it's considered the, the lesser film. Um, we're at, that one yeah. that followed it. And yeah. I think that's something that happens just because you've got your first film or your first anything that, that is something new and does something new. The second time around, you know what you're doing a little mm-hmm. bit more. It's less experimentation. So I think it's just naturally that sort of thing ends up happening. Yeah, before people throw pitchforks at you. But first, yeah, first, thing. first, first thing is, I do agree with you that uh, Beauty and the Beast is considered the best non-Pixar Disney film for sure. Um, Tangled, to me... Uh, Tangled is like I haven't seen it in a little bit, but based on what I remember, the Tangled is the comparison that I made. It's possible that Tangled is cons- more consistent of a slightly higher quality than the middle of Frozen. It's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen it more recently. Uh, but it, to me, it doesn't have those shining through moments that Frozen has. But the, here's the big here's the big problem, and it's not Tangled's fault. Uh, but Tangled represents the old Disney um, kind of. Uh, I don't know what the word, the noun I'm trying to use is, but uh, the 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 old Disney movie, right? Uh, yeah. It's this very played straight <clears throat> love story between young girl meets older guy, and <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's fine if you just look at that film, but in the context of a broader social uh, view, it is it can be problematic. And the thing about Frozen is that it subverts that problem with disney films so like kind of most mostly and uh so obviously if you're trying if you have big elements of uh social progression like us then we're going to view frozen inherently in a better light than tangled which is it's not its fault but it's emblematic of this old disney guard there you go um problem of uh of this, uh, you know, younger younger girl over guy romance is first. Uh, the first guy this uh, this this young girl sees instantly falls in love with, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, and also the whole um, evil witch stepmother. Yeah, evil witch. It's it's got many of these you know social problems with it, which if viewed in a vacuum is fine, right? It's nothing specifically wrong with what they show in Fro- Entangled. Um, Entangled also has and um, back. Uh, the thing before for it tangled doesn't really have the high points that frozen has it has that uh boat scene with the lights yeah i don't remember what that song that was um something about lights yeah something about lights and it was really good um but to me i don't and and maybe tangled is kind of smarter overall too because it's kind of have this snarky dynamic going on so it like seems a little smarter uh you know but i would you know favor frozen for the previously stated reasons um, and it's not, I don't think this is a correct opinion, you know, it's just that you need to understand the social element of what's going on with this comparison. Um, something I want to talk about is, uh, how Frozen uses, uh, it's, um, you know, musical numbers as storytelling devices, uh, because this is the first, uh, musical we've talked about on this podcast. Um, so what's your background on musicals? Hint, it's a lot. So t- tell us about tell us about uh, you and musicals and how you view musicals. Well, let's break this down. How you view musicals Moving... in a narrative sense, you know? Okay, so 
I mean, the thing with musicals is that traditionally a lot of times what ends up happening, if you look at these sort of old musicals, Disney movie musicals, stage musicals, what have you, like music generally tends to stop the plot. Um, it's usually a moment where the way that they, that, that um, composers and, and book writers for musicals will tell you that they go about it is that you put a song in a place where a character might have a sort of monologue um, but because it's a musical, you have to elevate it. So that's why a lot of the times it, it feels like it's, it's overblown, I think. But that's the point. That's, that's, that's what musicals are. But that for, because of that, though, you've got these old musicals where the plot stops for this person to take an aside or these few people to take an aside and have their song. Recently, um, 80s, 90s, into now, like musicals have become this thing where you take the songs to tell the story. Um, something like Rent, I think, really helped with that, where it was a rock opera, opera being something where you never stop singing. Um, so it was music carried all the way through to tell the story. So I'm trying to think of an example in, in Disney where like... Yeah, well, what about Disney? Like Little Mermaid, do you think musicals uh, drive narrative there or like like uh, Under the Sea? I feel like that's not... So, yeah, so... Yeah. Something like Party or World or Under the Sea is clearly is is a remnant of sort of that old musical style where mm -hmm. it's like okay something's happening they they would have a monologue or a long conversation here but instead of that we're going to turn it into a song like Part of Your World does nothing to drive the plot forward it's the I want song mm -hmm. so she stops and and takes a minute in her in her grotto and and sings her song and then immediately the plot comes right after because i think the boat scene with the fireworks comes right after that i'm not sure um but you've got frozen where the i want song is on a getting ready for the party and leads right into the party yeah, yeah. well let's back up for a second even something like mulan uh, man out of you that that's uh really plot driving i think right yeah. that's an entire yeah. they the entire training uh, like goes is very fast forwarded through this one incredible song right yeah so songs are also a very good way to speed up time in yeah. a movie as well um i'm trying to think of an example in tangled but i don't know the songs very well yeah i need to rewatch tangled um but yeah so the songs in frozen as as moving the plot along like for example the i want song um which is first time in forever goes through Anna's like morning and day getting ready for the party all the way up until the coronation. Um, and we like glide right through it instead of her stopping and taking a moment. Let it go is probably on the border of that. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of like part of your world where she stops and has this sort of like inner monologue to herself. But the difference here is that by the end of it, she's a different, she's a different person. She's, she's gone through a sort of like mini character arc, um, Whereas Party of World or um, the Bell in Bell, that song, like nothing changes at the end. It's just you're established. Those are establishing characters. This is um, furthering, I think, a character, which is not something you see a lot in solos, I think, um, in Disney films. I, but I, there's, yeah. there's also not many solos after the first um, couple minutes. I think Frozen is what really strike me upon this viewing is how much it's it's songs forward the plot. Uh, like let it go. I don't even. I don't really think that's on the border. I think that is clearly just a plot driving song, right? 
uh, she's just transformed by the end and she has this giant ice castle. Like this is, this Same. is, a, this is a song that, yeah, this is a song that's so, uh, so much happens during this three minutes. I, yeah. But then there's things like Olaf's song. Um, yeah, true. Don't, I mean, they don't even travel during it. It's Olaf's, like, Olaf's song is an exception. I think to the I love it, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it stops the play. Uh, and I, maybe the, the best, troll song. the troll song too. That's another bad one. So maybe the best example of this is, uh, do you want to build a snowman where we get the entire exposition of Anna and Elsa's past um in a song you know in like three minutes yeah it's uh I mean they, it's I think it's probably longer than that because they extend the song throughout uh yeah there's scenes yeah um but do you want to build a snowman completely like telling a story and kind of first first time in forever I think too is continuing that story um even though it uh it is kind of this uh, character motivation song but it's it's done in a way in which it's clearly advancing the plot through it happening um do you think that uh, musical numbers inherently have to, for the plot, for them to be meaningful narrative, not meaningful narratively, but good critically? Um, I don't think so, because mm-hmm. I do think, again, going back to sort of the older Disney films, like Part of Your World is a really good song, and it's a really great song for character um, establishment for Ariel's character. Um, and it's not something I think that necessarily needed to, to further the plot, Um but at the same time, when you've got something so well-crafted as um, Do You Want to Build a Snowman or Make a Man Out of You, where you're building in a, a plot or, uh, in the case of Do You Want to Build a Snowman, establishing a context <clears throat> emotional enough that, like, you know, it hits people. Because a lot of people always make the joke that, like, wow, that was – Disney really, like, tries to, to get you the first five minutes of a film by, like, making you cry. Like, the fact that a six-minute or so song um, – could have such an emotional impact on people um is something really to be commended i mean i think it's but i also think it's the exception not really the rule and i think it would be very hard if we tried to make it the rule and it would take away from moments you have like part of your world where you've got this iconic sort of empowering solo song um that doesn't feel the need to to drive the plot forward you can do it with let it go like let it go proves that but i don't think you necessarily have to yeah i I don't think there's yeah, there'd be no reason to it have to. I feel like Frozen is um, does such a good job of driving the plot and also like focusing on the characters too at the same time that yeah. maybe like that's the solution to try to. And I feel like that's out of necessity. I mean, if you think about the plot, there's a lot going on in that movie for a like what is it like 87 minute or something like that film. Um, there's a lot of pivot points and um, a lot of sort of narrative strings i think for for the length of film that it is so i think the moving forward of the plot is out of necessity yeah frozen Um, frozen is 102 but that's with like a 10 minute credit so it's probably 90 95 minutes ish um yeah let's go through the songs of this of this film um and we can kind of talk about some of the narrative uh along with this so frozen heart we talked about already um it's it's like kind of the setting the stage type uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think Frozen Heart doesn't land because um, I like have to it, bring up my iTunes. Yeah, I, yeah. I have my iTunes open with the the soundtrack on there. I think Frozen Heart doesn't land because uh, it's it's so male to a certain extent, right? Like it's, yeah. it's 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 there's no connection point to it. Like it, we see the beginnings of uh, of Kristoff and stuff like that, but we don't care about that during it, right? Um, the reindeer is kind of cute. Yeah, it's a little Kristoff <laughs> cute, but like it's I don't know this. There's just no, there's no emotional connection to. It's this also screening. a weirdly interesting choice that he's the first main character we see. Yeah, 
kind of odd. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's Good not... Good animation on the ice. It's fine, though. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, like, okay, do you build, want to build snow? And we've talked about this. Uh, I, I specifically, I just love, like, sequencing through Anna's ages and the interactions with Elsa. It's it's so wonderful. <laughs> I don't... I just... I'm so obsessed with the song. It's so good. Not obsessed with the play, but uh, it's... I don't know. Uh, it's It might be, like, uh, the, the musical number in a film I've seen that I feel like is the best narratively and like in that regard i feel like i want to say it's critically too almost i don't know if that makes sense but it it just feels so legitimate to me from a narrative okay. perspective and it's it's so good i don't i don't know uh I, we can talk about the this sequence too in the beginning um the we ball. talked about the uh, what in the what in the ballroom or like the song sequence this is the we're still on the you know five to fifteen minute with the exposition. Um, the the sky is awake, so I'm awake, so we have to play. Yeah, uh, my niece does that. I've always loved that. Like to me, that's when I bought into the film is, which is like right at the beginning because this is up under the bed. This is so that's so like real little girl. That's so good. It's it's so realistic and it's it's like this over dramatic. Uh, Fox over dramatic type thing, and it's really playful and stuff, and it's great. Yeah, uh, it's uh, everything with the Elsa, you know. I mean, I said, and just Elsa. every how how young Anna functions throughout the throughout the song, the clock, the talking, the picture on the wall, like the pig, yeah, the the pictures that she became BFFs uh, with, yeah, which was actually a very good, I think, little character um, quirk that they gave her that no one really uh talked to her so she started talking to pictures yeah, yeah that's <laughs> and, very it, good. and it carries through um because she's doing it again when she's older so i think that was a really good sort of like little uh character thing they gave her mm-hmm. yeah and uh just this film setting up the rest of the movie with olaf too um mm. i'm olaf i love warm hugs i love you olaf that rang really true to me too just the you know uh, how to describe it? The Olaf is Elsa's child. <laughs> Not that part. Just on on his reaction to it is just like this uh, complete buying into this affection, yeah, overt Olaf, affection, right. and playfulness. It's so good, and uh, just the their relationship established in the beginning. Um, also, what we get with um, Elsa too, with the conce- you know conceal don't feel. Um, it's. I feel like this is uh, representative of... I'm going to serenade you in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we'll see how long it evolves us into singing it. Uh, we're talking about the songs without actually singing That's them. That's the danger of Frozen songs, I think. See how long it devolves into... I feel like this is like representative of these uh, this like coming-of-age, teenage-type don't conceal your emotions for and, the good of, you know... Yeah, and that's what I think a lot of people... Um, I don't want to say, like, I, I don't know how much people actually act the way they do on the internet. So, like, looking at sort of, like, a faction of something that wants to look at Frozen and say, it's not as good as you think it is, is whatever. But the, the people who do think that, I think the thing that they miss is, like, you know, that song and that whole Conceal Don't Feel, you know, I don't think it's as specific as people want to make it out to be. You know, it's not about... Um, uh, like yes it's about Elsa in, in in context but out of context i think any 
girl any or even any teenager at all can can relate to sort yeah. of what's going on there i mean whether you take what parallels you take from it or what parallels people said that they were taking from of it you know socially i think that's one of the good things about this film that again yeah it gets established in do you want to build a snowman sort of just the awkwardness of being a teenager and the awkwardness of being feeling very alone and sort of possibly going through these intense emotions as a teenager and not feeling like you have anyone to talk to because you're scared yeah and i think that's the the biggest scene for that for me in do you want to build a snowman is after their parents die and elsa's on the other side of the door and the room's just covered in snow yeah and she you know, she's all by herself and she starts crying and there's nothing she can do. Like, I thought that was a really, and that's the last scene we see um, before it goes into the next bit. But I think that was like a super resonant scene with me. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it Elsa really like relatable in general, um, problems in the beginning. And it's kind of more disappointing that we don't focus on her more after that because of that. But also this is why, uh, a big reason why let it go hits home so hard, I think. Um, it's because of the setup here and it's just very cathartic, uh, seeing, you know, her being herself at the, in, in Let It Go. Um, for the first time in forever, we've talked about this. I, I talked about like the dynamic of the song. It's, um, Anna in, in, in the beginning talking about, uh, being, you know, free from the confines of the castle for herself. And then it gets into true love at the end. What do you think of this, uh, kind of change in dynamic in the song? I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with it because on the one side, I don't, you know, I think it's 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 okay to have female characters that do kind of like crave um, attention or or um, justification, I suppose, is what she's looking for. And it makes sense with her character. I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that as long as you narratively work it out in a way that is helpful, which didn't really happen too much here. Um, but, I mean... I think on a basic level, like if you take the first half of it before it turns into the like romantic part, I think it's, it makes, it's a, it's a really good song that makes a lot of sense because she has been cooped up. Um, she is by herself. She sort of craves human attention. It just turns into, you know, the sort of teenagery, I, you know, stereotypical teenage girl wanting to, to meet, um, the guy of her dreams or Prince Charming or what have you, which again, yeah, it's being set up to, to to be subverted but still in the end she ends up with a guy so is it really all that subverted i don't know but um the song it replaced was um it was it was a completely different um theme it was uh more than just a spare where she basically she went about town and knocked into things and all that sort of stuff like she does in in this but uh the song was about her wanting to be seen as more than just like a secondary piece to her sister because you know it's the idea of the air and the spare and wanting to be her own person making her own decisions so it's a similar theme um that might have been a little bit more empowering because it completely got rid yeah. of the romantic element but that's what we have in the film now so <laughs> that is what we have yeah <laughs> like i think i think the second half of for the first time in forever is not un is not unrealistic or nonsensical with Anna's character. Um, I think it might make sense. Like how okay, how old are Anna are, is are Anna and Elsa? Anna is eighteen. Elsa is twenty one. Okay. Uh, yeah. She can turn up <laughs> like eighteen. Even if she's like in an old Disney movie, she'd be fifteen. You know, like it's, yeah. Uh, and she almost is kind of fifteen, and they're just saying she's eighteen to a little to a certain extent. Uh, <laughs> 
like you know to like hide the ickiness of the of the entire romance stuff but yeah i mean to a certain extent that's that's furthering this this problem but i don't know i feel like it's hard not to see it like that when these past movies have had this element yeah i think there's good and bad things to it um I don't think it's not justified with her character, but I also would have preferred them not to have her end up with someone else at the end yeah. because I think it just justified what she's saying herself yeah. in, in the song. So, mm-hmm. And uh, people on Tumblr point out like, oh, she's describing Kristoff but doesn't know it in the song when she says like tall and fair and all this other stuff. So Yeah, and it's kind of where we're going with it. But uh, it does it does make sense, you know, with this just uh, shut-in, you know, 18-year-old girl and stuff like that. But uh, I also feel like to a certain extent, maybe we, this is a very cynical viewpoint, but maybe we need this narrative element and her getting with Kristoff at the end in order for this bigger message of um, females are more than for romantic love with guys to hit home with the wider societal audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that this movie would not have had such a connection with many people and with young girls in general because they're kind of already poisoned to the societal narrative uh if we didn't have this uh this romance element to anna maybe people can't relate with her and then it's overall more important that young girls are seeing the true love isn't uh romantic love with a guy necessarily message at the end um then that yes she also happens to end up the guy at the end but it's it's for the it's quote unquote for the greater good of the societal narrative hitting home i feel like i feel like that's a possibility um and it's i i think i probably think that's true but it's like very it's 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 not something i want to declare to be true like it's a very complex type of uh, thought process so mm-hmm. uh and yeah it's cynical and you know i don't know do you have any any thoughts on that no i mean i agree it kind of frames a reference a little bit i guess i would have a hard yeah based on what we're used to seeing and what we're primed for seeing like this Um, movie got so popular it's hard to imagine (laughs) it being this popular without people getting what they expect of a disney film from i mean and it's also it's almost kind of like the dark side of what i was saying about ratatouille where it's like you're taught to crave this kind of story um so yeah i agree i mean it's 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 probably necessary and i mean it does not take up a huge amount of time like it's it's one song and it's like a little scene at the end, but still, it's just. I mean, it does extend, you know, Love is an Open Door is all about this, too. And then we have the uh, Fixer Upper is all about this, too. So it does extend throughout the movie. But, um, yeah, it's it's I feel like I feel like if we want to affect like, I don't know, this is talking me from a. Uh, progression um you know warrior standpoint if we want to affect real if we want to affect real societal change you have to like put it start putting it into things that people are are okay with and then we can start moving forward yeah that's and i hate using the term normalizing but that is what that is like the way to do it i think is to insert these things into everyday things that you're used to until it becomes an everyday thing in and of itself and i'm not saying that chris buck and jennifer lee have this opinion i don't know if their goal with this narrative was to be progressive and to change this uh sexist dynamic um in previous disney films i'm skeptical that disney would acknowledge that this was a problem um but also there is a female co-director and sole female writer of a disney film for the first time ever right Mm -hmm. so maybe there's something here about that and i don't know i'm not necessarily saying that this is i'm not speaking for them i'm saying 
uh, from someone who takes this message away from the film. And, you know, maybe th- yeah, that's she, what they're intending to. I don't know. I don't know if you're interested in this or not, but originally she was not. She was a late addition to the team, actually. Um, it was originally Jeff Buck and then a few others like... Um, Chris Buck. Yeah. Chris Buck, I'm sorry. Shane Morris Jeff, is... I was going to say Jeff Buckley. Shane Morris is credited on the story, too. Yeah. Um, so, like, it was it was Chris Buck and Alan Mekin and um, I think maybe even back when they were first doing it, like, way back in the day before Lasseter left. No, Lasseter's still there. I think Lasseter was on it. Um, and it, just basically the typical teams you'd see, Don Hahn, like, all the typical, like, Disney guys um, were on it as... Uh, producers directors all this stuff um it wasn't until i think two years or a year and a half out from the movie being released that um she came on as and she reworked the script um and came on as director so they said a lot of essentially the the elements that you end up seeing and in the film now um were her inclusions because originally elsa was a villain um, and Anna was this sort of like hapless girl who's like trying to, to get out from under like the thumb of the, the, the snow queen and stuff. But, um, she came in and said, she said that they had like a writer's room reading and the, the idea came up that what, what if they're sisters? Um, and that from there s- snowballed, um, yeah. into what it became now. So I think we do need to give her a lot of credit for and and it and it does have something to do with the fact that I think that she is the first um, female to to sort of help helm a Disney movie. That this is what it turns out to be, um, because a majority of those feminist um, qualities of Frozen came from her. So it, yeah, it's it, it's it's hard to know these things based on you know like reading interviews and Wikipedia articles mm-hmm. and stuff. But I, it, that's you making these conclusions to the best of your ability based off of the available information. Yeah. Um, and it does seem like she came on to fairly, like, I don't, it's hard to tell with these movies because, like, they go through a lot of, a lot of progress while, like, you, while the story still hasn't even been fully fleshed out and stuff. Uh, so it seems like she came in early, but that still could have been, like, several, like, a year into the process or something. Yeah. Like, like, this film was, they are trying to make this for, like, a while. She came in, and then shortly after she came in, they, I know that they wrote Let It Go because then they had to completely rewrite the film. <laughs> yeah um so it's it's yeah i mean it's all hearsay it's what these guys want to say in interviews but i think there is something there about you know you've got this woman helming the film and Mm. it turns out to be one of the more empowering feminist uh disney films I, i you know logical conclusion yeah i'm drawing is there's there's correlation and causation um that doesn't necessarily mean it's true but i'd like to think it's true Okay, yeah, I think it's reasonable. Okay, let's continue with the the songs. Talking about how uh, feminist this is, and then let's talk about Love is an Open Door, the typical, yeah. <laughs> typical Disney one. What do you think of Love is Love an Open is Door? Um, it's catchy. I mean, I think it's funny, and I think every time I went to go see it in theaters, it was like there was laughs the entire time. It was played for laughs. Like, people recognized it for what it was as being sort of this joke of um, typical Disney... Uh, love at first sight stuff do you think that's that's like clearly its intention i don't know honestly because i remember sitting there a few times wondering like like there's jokes like there's here groaning yeah again like there's jokes in the song like it's obviously supposed to be funny but it's not i'm not 
necessarily super convinced like the concept is supposed to be funny i mean i think it plays off as i don't know how much of it is like the actor's choices or the the lopez's making beat choices or the director but i think it comes off as funny and it gets played as funny and it's animated as fun as funny and i think that's in its intention um i don't know how much of it is looking at it out of context would be seen not to be taken seriously but i also think that's because again we're primed to look at that um but that's also disney's fault (laughs) so yeah yeah. it's 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 kind of a feedback loop i guess yeah i i guess i don't i don't necessarily read this song as um purely subversive i think there's an element of we're subverting the typical falling in love song but i I don't think it's like i i think mostly it's maybe not that yeah and i think the thing that maybe makes it not as subversive as we'd want it to be is the fact that there is sort of this established actual um at least from what we perceive connection between hans and anna like feeling like outsiders and and lonely people um whether he turns into like a major jerk at the end or not like you know that that they seem to have sort of a connection there with the fact that you know they they trade stories and that stuff so the fact that they have sort of this genuine emotional connection for a hot second i think does take away a bit from it being subversive because it's kind of half serious um so, I think yeah. I, yeah, I think it's like seventy five percent serious. That's my yeah. read on it. And like, that's the thing is, as I said before, I absolutely love this song, and like that's with it being seventy five percent serious, right? Yeah. Uh, I feel like this is one of the better entries into the falling in love song that I've seen in a Disney film or in general. Nothing beats. Um, can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> one of the better, not the best one, and uh, it's. It's probably, it's maybe, other than Let It Go, it might be the best song song um, in the film. Actually, I think it's pretty clearly, the other than Let It Go, the best song um, in terms of, like, musically. Uh, like you said, it's, like, catchy and stuff. And yeah. uh, it, I can enjoy this um, as what it is in the context of watching it for the this film for the first time and seeing them, like, have this genuine connection and Han seems, like like, you know, fine and it's... It's just like young people exploring emotions, and yes, in the context of uh, of Disney films, it's not what we want. But uh, I can appreciate it as what it is um, within this film, um, within the narrative at the time of the film when it plays. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 I, I I can turn I can turn it off for a little bit and Listen, just enjoy the Listen, it comes on my car and we all sing to it so it's like I have no problems with it from that way. I don't think it's like a super bad I I think it's just I think it's a fun funny song and yeah, I do think it it establishes sort of a connection between Hans and Anna that sets up for later in the film when he like puts out the fire and you're like, "Oh, what?" Um so I think for what it is and what it's supposed to be it works fine. Um I, you know, whether it's half serious, 75% serious or subverting anything, I think it does its job um, to be both serious in ruining Anna's life later and then um, jokey in the scene that immediately follows where Elsa's is like, what do you mean you're marrying this guy you just met? So I think if you from both ends, it, it works uh, um, for what it's trying to be. I also feel like that scene, like, that's interesting. The scene with Elsa after this is like, I don't know. I feel like this time I watched the movie, I was really in Anna's shoes. And, like, when I saw the scene with Elsa, I was kind of, like, upset. Not necessarily, like, um, like, haha, this is funny, we're subverting it. Like, I I felt Anna a lot during that Mm -hmm. scene, you know? 
Yeah. It's interesting, but I also I also can see that other reading of it too. Hmm, interesting. Hmm. hmm. Time for a third. <laughs> I'm not, not that yeah. I, I well I feel like it's it can be seen in multiple no, ways. No, it's interesting. And I'm you know more likely to be in the Anna characters yeah, perspective. That was, that was an interesting thing that happened when the film came out is that people who like felt Anna or felt Elsa more. Which is a weird thing that tends to happen when you've got these dual female leads, because it happened in Wicked and some other things where it's like, are you more of an Elphaba or a Glinda? Are you more of an Elsa or an Anna? It's like, yeah. what is that? I don't... That's that's a deeper-seated issue. Yeah. Yeah, this is a society. Yeah, we don't, let's not get into that. Um, let it go. Uh, so I've talked kind of uh, fairly extensively about Let It Go. What, do you have anything to add to, to Let It Go? Um, nothing that you probably would find interesting like i could tell you about the the versions of the song and the history of the song but well how do you just not necessarily the history of the song but our final product what do you how do you connect to it what do you think of it um i just think it's a super duper empowering song um and i think it's great that you know i want things to be empowering for everyone but i also do like the fact that that it's specifically empowering for women Mm -hmm. but i do know a lot of guys who um who like love it obsessed with it sing it um and don't change the pronouns yeah um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> some I, who do, I though. um but yeah i think it's just a great song for anyone who's like you know this teenager i mean elsa's obviously older but she's she's clearly working through some teenage issues or re- leftover teenage issues she's also a young adult too so it's it's anyone i think who's sort of like in a coming of age type situation where you know, they felt the need to, where they felt shy or felt the need to to hide themselves for one reason or another. And you don't have to anymore. And I think it's interesting because it sounds like such a, like a, a careless lyric almost, like Let It Go doesn't sound like a super duper, um, like, intelligent, catchy, yeah. intelligent lyric to a song that you would imagine. But like, when it happens and like in the context of what it is like it totally like hits perfectly and that's i thought that was interesting because going into it you know the the few months before the movie came out like no one would shut up about let it go they were like this song is so great like you guys are gonna love it and i was like it sounds like kind of like a weak lyric like it doesn't sound that like you know defying gravity or or something like that which it gets compared to a lot and it ended up hitting perfectly i mean even if the lyrics aren't really perfect because i think if you sit down and listen to them they're not super duper intelligent lyrics or really clever ones but they they certainly are straightforward um and on the nose a lot but i think that works and i think it hits exactly where it needs to hit and um it's interesting because the one animator um on it said that uh, a lot of what he put into his work in animating the scene was his relationship with his son and what his son had to go through. Um, I want to say his son was diabetic. Um, he talked about this in the documentary that aired last fall um, on ABC about the making of, of Frozen and basically about how um, his son was constantly being like, how he put it like poked and prodded and talked to about doctors, about all the things that were wrong with him. And for him, this was kind of his way of saying that, you know, it's not perfect, but it's okay. And it's okay to, to be who you are. Um, and it's okay to, to admit that this is a part of you. So I think even there, like it shows like the amount of resonance. I mean, a lot of people, um, will talk about the parallels that they see between LGBT things and that's great too. And I definitely see that, but I think it's so broad and anyone can look at it and say, this is what I take out of it. Um, and I really love it. (laughs) So 
Yeah, no, I I think this is I think it's like the perfect thing. <laughs> like in in a world of things that are imperfect, <laughs> Let It Go is the perfect thing because it's like clearly the best musical song of of the film, and it's like so good that Disney could clearly anticipate it being the best. Like you talked about. Um, like they have Demi Lovato do a cover of it during the credits, right? They know that it's going to be the, the highlight of the movie, and like they instantly release the the uh, video of her singing it on YouTube and stuff. And uh, it's it's which movie, more movies should do that, by the way. They should put like these big moments on YouTube in HD. And yeah, uh, yeah they did do that, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, it's 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 like that while also being um incredibly feminist and incredibly empowering in general to people and uh it's it, it's also perfect like within the context of the film for this character um like you forget how much of the lyrics are like previously stated things in the film too uh and yeah it's just in in a world of imperfect things this one is perfect <laughs> <laughs> i have no complaints about no that complaints well. yeah okay i uh, Reindeers are better than people. I don't oh, like that this is considered a song on the soundtrack, but I think it's like what twenty. It's, it's like seconds. thirty seconds. It's fifty. It's fifty seconds. Blah. Okay. In the... I love Josh or Jonathan Groff, but yeah. uh, don't don't love him. Okay, let's talk about the uh, the Kristoff character here. Um, yeah. Do you think he's like? I kind of think he's a non-entity. What do you think? I think he's not really that much of a character. Um, he doesn't have a driving anything. He doesn't really have a backstory. <laughs> He um, doesn't, his motive, I guess, is is like, you know, he wants the new sled and then he falls in love with Anna, so that's his thing. But there's nothing, like, within himself that seems to be driving him to do anything. Um, I've never liked him, um, but a lot of people <laughs> like him. I've never liked him. A lot of my friends, like, the, this this one person I was with in my, when I worked at Disney, was, like, obsessed with Kristoff, and I just didn't see it. Um, I still don't see it. I don't I think he's just he's he's kind of like a moving prop a little bit sometimes I think like you need she needed someone who could get her up the up the mountain who also could like direct her to Elsa because he knows where she was for some reason um and you needed kind of the love interest um at the end so I think that he's just there for logistical reasons and they tried <laughs> maybe to give him <laughs> To give him some some stuff that that makes him a bit of a character, but he's not. <laughs> logistical reasons—that's rude. He's a he's a logistical part of the film. The problem is he's like a nothing character, right? And he's the epitome of the nice guy. So it's yeah, yeah. The pro well, like I mean, to be fair to him, he's he never expects anything with Anna, of course, and um, he doesn't. He like purposely shoves off this romantic element for most of the. He's film not the nice guy in the sense that he is a nice guy. I think it's like the ideal of what nice guys want to have happen to them. I think it's, it's that too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, if you're helpful to the cute girl and help her and fill in girls and stuff, you'll end up with her at the end, right? And it's that's the problematic element. Uh, in terms of his character, like what we get of him, like I, I should be like the perfect person to relate to Kristoff, <laughs> and to a certain extent, I do. Like I have a trouble relating to male characters a lot, but Kristoff is one that shows emotion, which is the huge, huge thing I need male characters to actually do in media um, mm-hmm. is to show emotion in order for me to care about them at all. And uh, he does do that, and like he has no friends, and is just friends with <laughs> it's just friends with this animal. And like I feel you, Kristoff. So you know, like, like I, it's like in terms of that, he's like not this like super sociable like prince. You know, yeah. that's not his character. He's more of like the 
the he's not like a nerdy type but he's the more of that type so you know you feel i i I feel him and um but he's just not enough of a thing to matter in in my head it's like i i relate to anna the most and then elsa and then like like 20 spaces and then Kristoff. you know it's 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 if if he's not it's fine like his context in the movie is fine uh in terms of where we end up at the end he's like the the uh the arm candy for Anna at the end right <laughs> he doesn't need to be a person uh yeah. but the problem is when the movie hinges on him for half an hour uh i think that that's the big problem right he's supposed to be yeah. this main character um in this return journey we've talked this is the element of frozen we talked about the most before this which is the the element of the journey back to to uh Arendale, right uh the return journey narrative which we've seen in so many other pixar films and uh it's hero's journey not the not the hero's journey the That's return part journey. of it the return is part of it not i'm not don't make me don't make i'm me. not referring to that element of the hero's <laughs> journey okay uh and it's it doesn't like it's not that exciting but well, what was notable about watching the film this time is that it really only does take up 20 minutes half an hour so uh not that problematic but uh we don't need to focus on building Kristoff's character what we need is more of elsa in this time and we don't really get that yeah because she disappears off the map again for yeah the return uh yeah but which we get we do get some scenes of her in the castle though which is good at least get a scene. no i guess we get a few because she gets attacked by those she dudes. does get attacked uh okay briefly because those dudes uh <laughs> the, the biggest dumb narrative development of this film is the the uh, trade guy of uh, oh, uh, whatever he is, Tudyk's you know. character, Alan uh, Tudyk's character, the Duke the, of Wesselton. Yeah, the Duke. Yeah. What a yeah. This is this. Well, is, that was like a red herring. It's like a red herring, but it's it's also it feels like a leftover narrative element from an earlier version of the film. I'm not sure if it is, but it feels like it. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't. Yeah, he's I mean, just I so not important. To, you know, to say that, but. He's been there for a while. That character I do know has been there. He's been in concepts for a while, so it's entirely possible. Um, he's just and now I guess he functions as sort of the red herring. Do you think he's going to be the, the the yeah the, the villain? But he he's, he's he still is antagonistic because his like his uh, henchmen do attack uh, Elsa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's yeah, that one of the weirdly dark. This is like yeah, it's, yeah, it almost dies, you know, several times. But uh, that's the biggest uh, narrative flaw with the film, other than the return journey, is you know his presence. I guess um, is heightened when it's like, it's fine if he's a red herring, but uh, it just it does it seems random, and his scenes are not very good. And like he has a callback at the end with uh, Weasel Town, Wesselton, and it doesn't yeah. work because we've only heard it once before, and it's not even funny in the first place. So yeah, that's yeah. the that's like the biggest flaw anyway continuing with the songs uh the important part uh we get uh in in summer we talked about this a little bit so my i i like i love olaf i have a stuffed olaf in my bed right now like it's i love him and i i think within summer like it's just the people you know write it off and probably justifiably so is sort of like the fun sidekick song and he basically takes the spot of the talking animal uh sidekick but i do think it's interesting because olaf if you you know a callback to the olaf scene in the beginning where he's like i'm olaf and i like warm hugs like it's kind of actually really sweet if you think about it because it kind of represents like elsa caught in time a little bit um as a you know a 
the younger, happier version of herself when she was with her sister. I mean, he seems to have captured all of that and right before the moment, like when everything went to crap. Um, so I think that's really interesting and cute and stuff, but I don't think it's totally obvious in the song. Um, it's just in his little introduction where he's like, I'm Olaf and I like warm hugs. And I was like, oh, that's right. You are Olaf. So. The, the, okay. The character of Olaf, um, ignoring the song for a second. Like you talk about how he narratively, he has, he has a concrete function, um, yeah. being within the, do you want to build a snowman? And, um, functioning as this uh, happier time for for Anna and this remnant of El- still within Elsa of that and like the fact that Elsa builds him within her the one of the first ice things yeah, she, she does she builds him and let it go is uh and yeah like, and let it go and you see you and you see it happen it. yeah <laughs> the fact that that's one of the first things she builds when she realizes her powers and stuff is very meaningful um but like do you think that that element gets us past the fact that this is kind of a nothing sidekick character um, no, because I think he serves a function at the end. I mean, when uh, he's the one alone in the room with Anna, and he's the one helping her, because it's just those two at the end until she gets out on the fjord. Um, fjord. Fjord. And um, the, the, you know, the scene with Hans trying to kill Elsa happens. I think he does, in the end, serve an emotional function and a plot function. Um, I just don't think it's very obvious from his intro song, because it's kind of just a fluff song. Um, and it would definitely, in the Broadway show, that's going to be the song that is right after the intermission. I will bet you money. Um, but yeah, actually, no, I lie. Let it go will probably be in the intermission and reindeers are better than people. Point is, it's a, um, it's a fluff song. Um, but I think the character is, is more than, than the song and more important than the song. Yeah, I feel like the character get, is, is good enough. Like he mm-hmm. does, he doesn't stand out, but he has this clear function, and he does do things at the end, and they do a good enough job with him to justify um, his existence. Um, but Josh Gad. Josh Gad, who is very good in this, and the character is naturally sympathetic, um, and that helps too. But I do feel like the weakest part is probably the song, despite the fact that it is clever and uh, sympathetic, naturally mm-hmm. sympathetic. Um, do you agree? That, yeah, I think you basically said that right. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I could have. Like, I could have used a version of this movie without um, Reindeers Are Better Than People in Summer, Fixer Upper, and uh, have, I don't know what would replace them, but, you know, that these are definitely the weak points of the film, and they're clearly all in the middle. Yeah. Uh, we get a, for the first time in forever reprise, I guess, when they confront Elsa. Which, I, I like it. I think it's good. I like when there's duets, and I like duets when people are singing on top of each other i just really i love that sort of dramatic effect that happens um but at the same time from like a sort of like i guess looking at the behind the scenes of it the song that was originally there was much better um the uh, melody of which was used in the frozen short um the song that they sing in that i forget the name of the short um that played with whatever movie it played with yeah um anyway uh, Life's Too Short was the original uh, dem- the original demo, and there is a version of Adina Menzel and Kristen Bell singing it, so I think it was a fairly late um, edit, um, but it was a much sort of more antagonistic um, thing between the two of them, because it starts out happy, and then they sort of like get at each other's throats and start blaming each other for what's going on, and I think that's more interesting, because I think it would have definitely given Anna more of a character. She is very much a character, but I think it would have given her more of a flaw, I think, than than sort of just her naive 
thought process and that sort of thing. Um, and also the reprise of it uh, later was a great narrative sort of coming back to that. But um, for the first time in forever, good reprise is good too. <laughs> it's like, it's it's compared to the beginning and the beginning songs, it's kind of not, it's like, okay, it's a reprise. It's, well, it's a reprise of one yeah. of the weaker songs in the beginning. But um, within the wasteland of the middle of this movie, it stands out. It does. And I think maybe the one problem with it is that it's, and I think that it's, I love Elsa's character, but I think that the original version of the song also did her character favors as well because it kind of put her in this more um, uh, empowered position. Like what happens in this song is she essentially goes right back to who she was right before Let It Go, um, which, you know, helps with what ends up happening at the end of the movie. But I think it kind of takes away a little bit from sort of the empowering of that is that the very next scene we see her in, she's back to being scared and not controlling her powers and sort of physically like they animate her sort of crumbling in on herself and that sort of thing. Whereas in the original song, it's, she kind of fights back a little bit when, uh, cause Anna's basically like, Oh, you have to come back down and, and fix it down. And she's like, well, I, I'm not going back there. This, you know, my life was crap before then. And this is great where I am now. So I think that was one of, and I've talked about it with a with some friends i just we that's probably one of the, the things i'm so sad got taken out and replaced um do you think that it's like less feminist and empowering that the, this is the reaction that we get from her no because i i mean i think it's less empowering i don't think it's less feminist because it's still elsa and anna talking to each other and trying to to work it out between each other i mean olaf and Kristoff aren't there they're kind of in the background and they show up at the end but I do think it doesn't do – if it's less feminist, it's because it doesn't do favors to their characters and doesn't allow them to be kind of less um, less kind of perfect pretty people in terms of like their personalities and who their characters are because you're kind of sympathetic towards both of them in this song. Whereas yeah. in Life's Too Short, you kind of get mad at both of them hmm. for what they're doing. And I think that would have done more if, in terms of making a wholer character um, out of both of them because at the end of the day, like – Elsa and Honor are kind of like flaw-free, perfect Disney princesses. Um, if you look at like sort of their actions, like there's not really anything inherently wrong with a lot of the stuff they do. Um, besides like little nitpicky, like Anna being naive and, and, and falling for this, this total stranger, that sort of thing. There's nothing inherent in their choices that are really wrong. Um, and Elsa running away during Let It Go, which is played off as almost like it's pointed out in the original version of the song to be almost kind of a selfish thing that she does, especially when she won't go back and fix it is not really touched upon in the, the actual um, version that's in the movie. And when she finds out here that she's, you know, created snow everywhere and she actually doesn't have control of anything. Her response is again, to, to be that scared little girl again, instead of sort of like standing up for herself. And I don't think that's super helpful. Hmm, interesting. I've never thought about this before. I feel like both are reasonable reactions from Elsa in mm-hmm. this spot. Yeah, it depends on what you want to see, I think. Uh, I, I, I mean, I guess I disagree that Elsa's like a flaw-free character in the current version of the film. Like, I, I still get the self the selfish impression from her. Not that I think she's selfish, but I feel like the movie kind of presents her um, a little bit that way. And like, she's, you know, I feel like her being emotionally distant from Anna the entire time is also a big flaw. Like, it didn't have to be that way, right? This is just her yeah, not but, being able to deal with yeah. things. Yeah, and I agree with that, but I also don't think the film holds her as accountable as it should because I think that's not something that's obvious. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, them, I agree. So. These aren't these are things that you have yeah. to think about. Yeah. Ouch. So yeah, that's. Are you okay? Yeah. Like, I I think that I think that I uh, it's like she's to me she's like this kind of complex and deep character. I also I take a little bit of issue with Anna having to have deeper flaws. Like I think people exist like Anna. Like I feel like that is a type of person that exists, and you don't mm-hmm. need to have like naivety. It can just be Somewhere her soul. Out there, that is a type of person. No, I, I also, I mean, I feel like in general we sometimes expect our characters to be more flawed than normal humans are sometimes, because narratively that's more interesting sometimes. Uh, but like, I don't know. I'm fine with. I like Anna the way she is. You know, like <laughs> I accept no, her for I who she is. I but... think she is a very real person. And like I said, like in First Time Forever, I don't. You know, we don't. We agreed that it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that she would be like obsessed with the idea of like meeting a dude. Um, to a certain ex- to a certain extent, what heteronormativity yeah. that aside. It's something that, you know, I can see and justify in my head. And I can justify the way Anna is in here. It's just, I guess it's more or less not necessarily me looking at it and saying I want more. It's that seeing what could have been and being like, well, that's kind of cool. So I, I think I to look yeah. at it kind of as two separate entities. Mm-hmm. I think so. to a certain extent, this maybe comes down to our difference, <laughs> differing preference. Uh, I prefer moral characters as more interesting uh, and you prefer, you like think amoral characters are really interesting. And yeah. for me, like if Elsa in the middle of this film or if, uh, yeah, if Elsa would have turned her back on um, saving a lot of people and it like the way it comes off on this film is it's not her fault, right? She doesn't, you know, she didn't know about it. And uh, uh, if she had, uh, you know, not cared about that, then the emotional connection to the ending would not have been as strong for me. Yeah. Uh, because not like I'm not saying that she's like a worse person or she to a certain extent she is, but in that if she does that, but uh or that she's like less sympathetic to everyone, but like she is less of like this moral character and um it's it's uh, that's very not to a to a very minor extent. Like I don't know. It's it's hard to tell cuz we're talking about hypotheticals, but yeah. I I feel like having both of them staying clearly moral and sympathetic uh also to an average audience too um like keeping on there's a certain extent that you need to keep on a like we talked about relatable to uh the typical viewer you know of a disney film um i think it maybe works with the ends but i could see like i also kind of crave these better elsa moments in the middle too and if this could have been one then you know maybe it would have been better mm-hmm uh fixer upper do you have anything nice to say about fixer upper um the only thing that is good about it is when you get to kind of the bridge when they separate else not Elsa, anna and Kristoff, and uh they're singing at anna and they're like <clears throat> the one troll is singing at her and saying like um sometimes people make mis- bad choices when they're scared and stuff and anna kind of has this like look on her like this introspective look on her face and it's kind of the one like they're referring to Elsa and like the idea is that you know it sets up for the true love thing because it you know it's it ends with oh but love will will save you in the end even if you've made bad choices and you know we can forgive each other for that so that part I like when it it harkens back to Elsa and the eventual um revelation that Anna and Elsa have when she you know gives her life to save her and stuff other than that I have no cares for <laughs> this song yeah I really have nothing nice to say about this it's it's the uh, it's the pro- emblematic problem of this uh, forced you know male romance part of it etc mm-hmm. um 
We have, and that was, is that it for songs? Yeah. There's like yeah, no songs. Yeah, that's the last yeah. song. That's, that's... It's weird. It kind of cuts off. Uh, yeah. What do you think about how the, the, these, these songs are spread out throughout the film? Um, it's interesting because if you think about that being the last song, you're like, wow, really? That's the last song. There's so much more of the movie, but you don't even notice it. I think when the songs drop off at the end, um, I think they're spaced out fine. Uh, mm. Yeah, I mean, nothing's too close or too far away, and a lot of them lead into each other in terms of, like, looking at, like, the plot, so. Um, Maybe there was one song in an older version of the script that took place when Elsa was locked up and Anna was in um, the bedroom, like, freezing to death. Um, There was a reprise of Life's Too Short where they realized that they both kind of screwed up, and... um, got themselves in bad situations and miss each other and stuff but and that probably is the last place where you could have a song um but i don't think you necessarily need it uh yeah i don't know it's the 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 movie kind of gets into uh this ice monster that elsa created and stuff and i feel like that's one of the weaker narrative elements of marshmallow the marshmallow guy and like i don't care what's happening during that like it's there's he's did you see the end credit scene yeah it's there he's the, the real credit. snow queen and like it's the problem there's a certain uh flaw in narrative tension in this because this is a monster also created so why would it hurt them um like it's there's kind of just not suspense for me here uh and also just i don't care about this action within i care about the characters and stuff um that was one of the first scenes they released in the movie was early cuts of um in early storyboards of this the snowman chasing interesting. that was like the first thing we saw from it for a while interesting um so yeah the narrative elements the Kristoff uh or the uh the hans revelation we talked about a little bit uh it doesn't really make sense narratively that he's turns evil but it also they try to justify it because then he starts monologuing after that you know uh it's you got me monologuing yeah <laughs> Uh, it's fine. I don't know. I don't really care about his function within the thing. It's an interesting, it's an interesting plot element, I guess. Yeah. And then we talked about this, this wonderful ending. Uh, do we have anything else to say about this? Besides this, the fact that it's perfect? That, that it's like literally perfect. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I don't think so. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't, it's so good. <laughs> it's this, this incredible subversion. It's dramatic. It's great. I'm not really sure how Anna got all the way that far across the fjord in that short amount of time because she was hobbling, but I also don't care. She skated, obviously. She skated. Yeah. She's, she's Norwegian. They do that. Um, yeah, no, it's perfect though. And I think it, it plays off perfectly. Um, even though Olaf's unnecessary thing of like, true love will thaw a frozen heart. And, but you know, at the same time, he doesn't say it enough to like explain it out to you. Like you can get that. Okay. It was like Anna who saved herself instead of getting kissed or whatever, which is good because you kind of expect the way you go into it is you think, Oh, Hans kiss doesn't work. It must be Kristoff's. And I had friends who went with me who were expecting that. And me having read the novelization of the book before that, knowing what happened was like, ha ha. But, <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's this windows version. Then Olaf kind of states what's happening, which is dumb. But then they do do something with that, and then, um, oh yeah, Elsa's like, oh, lo- love is how I thought the ever the kingdom, you know. So. Suddenly she's it's all fixed. That's kind of annoying, I think, maybe a little bit. Is that uh, suddenly she's like, oh right, love, okay, and then he just, <laughs> um, yeah. does that, and they're magically on a boat. 
um lonely island style but um other than that i think it's perfect no not not that style but it's yeah it's i don't at least that at least (laughs) at least her lot that line served a function even if it was like this I don't know. I don't care if it. That's how she, I don't care if that's how she figured out if it's a thought at all. I just cared about this moment between the sisters. Yeah, and then we get that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, characters. Oh, voice voice acting performances. Kristen Bell is Anna. Sloths. Sloths. She's obsessed with sloths. Have you not seen that video? I have seen that video. What do you think of not? What not? What do you think of Kristen Bell? What do you think of Kristen Bell as Anna? I think she's really good. Um, I didn't know that um, she was a singer. Um, she did some singing in Veronica Mars for like a hot second, but she's actually evidently a uh, trained soprano, and she's very good, um, especially when you're trying to keep pace with Adina Menzel. Yeah. Um, which she talked about in interviews as being like the scariest thing ever. But um. I thought she was really good. I think she has like a surprisingly very good voice for voice acting. And that's kind of like the risk you run when you cast these sort of kind of more high profile people who aren't known for voice acting, but are like known actors into voice roles and like Serena Williams and, or was it Venus Williams in Avatar? Yeah. Like where it's like, that's a very weird comparison, but yeah. Yeah. But my point (laughs) is it's like, that's someone who is like a random drop in like, whoa. Okay, but I think she has a really good voice for it. Um, I think she she had great inflection. She is great with singing. So yeah, and I really like Arizona. Yeah, good job, uh, Idina Menzel. Um, obviously, we worship her, but like, yeah. I, okay, I, I, if like there there have been maybe people. I feel like people in the past have said that her voice is not super um fit with elsa have has is that right that there's been yeah no criticism? a lot of people were saying that she sounded a little too old um, I, I, her in, upon voice this... didn't really look like elsa yeah or uh, didn't sound like elsa's voice look like we have voices looking like people that's a weird concept <laughs> uh, on this rewatch the only problem i would have had with that actually is her singing voice like i actually thought her voice acting voice for elsa was really good um, mm-hmm. Like that, I actually thought that really fit with it. Her sing, obviously, her singing voice is incredible, but um, it does seem like pretty, you know, like deep and incredible for this, uh, for this, uh, you know, Norwegian princess or whatever. But yeah, she'll, uh, but she'll it, correct you on Twitter if you tweet her about being a Disney princess. She's corrected people. She's like, I'm a queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's interesting because she actually auditioned for Rapunzel, um, entangled, and didn't yeah. get it because she would have been way too old like sounding for that um <clears throat> but they catched for whatever reason she was one of the few people they videotaped videotapes that's 90s they recorded um the audition for and kept it and then um someone showed it to um the directors and they asked her to come in and re-audition so that's how she got that part she was actually one of the first people they cast um and i think that was back when elsa was supposed to be much older and much meaner so there's that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. It's it, it's slightly it's slightly there, but I don't think it ultimately matters that much. The the dis- disparity at this point. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Groff uh, as Kristoff. I like Jonathan Groff. Um, he was good in voice acting, and his singing voice for Fifty Seconds was fine. Um, he's another one that I would not expect to be a voice actor who actually turned out pretty good. He's a Broadway guy, and he was in Glee for all you people who watch Glee. Um, 
Yeah, no, I have no complaints about him. I thought he was good. And I thought it's interesting because if you look at him and then look at Kristoff, they don't look at all alike. Like, it's that thing again where it's like you look like someone who would have this voice. Like, it's a weird phenomenon, but it's sometimes a thing. Um, but his voice weirdly works for Kristoff, even though Kristoff's like this huge burly dude and Jonathan Groff is not. So. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have many thoughts on him. Much like Kristoff. <laughs> I actually, I actually more thoughts on. Um... Uh, Santino Fontana as Hans. Another, I actually think he's really good as Hans. Yeah, another Broadway guy. Uh, him, him in Loves and Open Door is incredible. Also, yeah. his uh, he had like a built-in fan base coming in too. He's got like a cult following. That's um, odd. Even before Frozen, yeah, it's weird because he uh, he was he's a big Broadway guy. He was just in Cinderella, and by Justin, I mean like a year and a half ago. Yeah, <laughs> he was the prince in Cinderella. Yeah. Uh. I don't know. That's it. I mean, we talked Josh Gad as well. Um, what's his face? The voice of Oak and Chris Williams is the director of uh, Big Hero 6. The guy. Uh, interesting. The or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. The uh, big, big, the... big Summer Blowout. Yeah, Big Summer Blowout. Uh, he was one of the co-directors of Big Hero 6. That's a meme I see, too, all the time. Yoo-hoo. Especially, like, because Blowout in college. People, people did that... Um, at the park, people would answer the phone if you called Norway. Like, on the park phone, they literally would answer, hoo-hoo. Ah, that's good. I didn't call Norway often, but... Why not? I had nothing to say to a park I did not work at. <laughs> but I could. You could have. Okay, briefly. Um, this film and its voice cast are extremely white. Yes. That was a huge thing going into that um, people were pointing out... Um, that it was white on white on white on white. Like the only person of color I see in this voice cast is the the uh, troll mother, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's kind of racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, the defense is that this is like Norway and stuff, so white people, right? Which I have a love hate relationship with that defense because, on the one hand, like. Yes, like it's a semi-historical location because it's supposed to be Norway and it's based on a Scandinavian um, folktale and stuff. But at the same time, like it's not explicitly Norway, like it's a fake kingdom. So I don't see any reason why you couldn't put people of color in your fake kingdom. Yeah. Um, when you've got and especially monsters. in your especially in your voice guest too, which is uh, yeah, which is, they don't have to match, you know. Yeah, they don't, which is also kind of, which is kind of almost more annoying, the fact that they felt the need to cast white actors for, you know, these roles when that doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but that was a huge um, debate going into the movie is that people were um, quite unhappy with the fact that there was absolutely no one in the main cast uh, was a person of color. Um, and there's one, you know, if you look at the party scenes, yeah, there's people of color, but it's a party scene. They're in the background. Yeah. Like what's, that's not helping anyone. Yeah. I think this is like such an evident thing that if you, if someone were to say, um, which I'm sure people do say that I have no connection to this film because it's so white. I think that's completely valid. Mm -hmm. I think if someone were to say that, uh, this film is, um, emblematic of white feminism, I think that yeah. that is ve- completely valid. Yeah, that, and that's my one problem with it is that it is like I love that it's feminist and women empowering, but it's very white feminist and women empowering, um, and also very sort of just heteronormative, and 
a lot of stuff. These are these are I think completely valid things to say about the film, and um, I mean it's it's hard. It's I have I have trouble thinking about you know this white feminism concept and stuff like that. I mean I get it to a certain extent, and um, but you know as like two white people, which we are, yeah, uh, it is <laughs> we're not the ones to be talking about this. I think, uh, but yeah. we should acknowledge it, which I'm trying to do here, right? So yeah, uh, okay, Frozen overall. Um, yeah, good. I, it's we're at this weird stage with it where we're past this incredibly hype period. Past the hype, but uh, it's not far. We're not far enough away to look back on it objectively. I think. Yeah, especially with Broadway shows and sequels. And... Yeah, what do you think about this upcoming sequel? I don't know because Disney doesn't like historically speaking, like musical sequels, no matter what medium and they're in, don't do well at all. Um, they're not good and they're kind of like the poor watered down versions of, of what you're, whatever you're trying to capture from the original one. Um, so I don't see the point in making a sequel. I also don't know what else you could do because I think it's sort of like a perfect little entity and entity can't say that word, um, for what it is. And I think this might, this runs the very high risk of taking away everything that was good about the first film. I'm fine with a Broadway show. They always do that. Um, animated shorts, they always do that as well. Um, but I don't understand the need for a full-blown sequel. Yeah, I don't... It just... I don't think it, like... I don't see how, story-wise, we'd do but anything with this. Or... There's no... They haven't... They announced things, like, bajillion years out. They haven't announced anything for this in terms of um, premiere dates, so... Yeah, it's, 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 it's gonna be... It's possible it just might be in development forever. It's gonna be a while away, yeah. I mean, this film was, at least conceptually, was in development forever, ever. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, I'm excited by the prospects of returning Don and Elsa characters who I genuinely like care about. Um, like that's not super, um, frequent in movies. Like you only get so much time with characters, so I don't actually come away caring that much. Um, but I really do care about Anna and Elsa. So in that regard, it's kind of exciting, but plot wise, I just don't, um, see where they'd go. And I would hope that they would maintain these, um, these empowering feminist elements of it if no matter where we go plot wise and maintain the sibling relationship obviously yeah uh yeah so i don't know we talked about okay overall we're both very high on this film obviously you have a deep you have a close connection to it and um do you think we're higher than the typical discourse surrounding this film right now i think probably yeah i mean i think it also depends on who you ask um, because the discourse, like I said, there's a couple, there's like the people who love it. There's the people who are sick of it, but acknowledge that, you know, it's good. There's the people who are sick of it and don't want to talk about it at all. And don't think it's good because of the hype and all that stuff. So yeah, we're probably higher than, than most people. Ugh, did you expect him to be this high coming into on it? I didn't because you, I've just not... never really talked about it. I don't know. Yeah. I was, I was not about the, uh. Initial pre-movie hype, I guess. I'm all. I, I'm. Oh, she. I saw it at. No, I didn't see it at midnight. They didn't do a midnight showing. I saw it at 9 p.m. the night before. Oh yeah, one of those things. Yeah. I, I think this film will benefit from time uh, away oh, yeah. from, from time away from the hype. The sequel is not going to help. But once we get past the societal fervor, then I believe this will be looked back on as one of the better Disney films. Six hours is was the average time you had to wait to meet Elsa. 
at uh, Magic Kingdom. That is a lot for someone in a costume. A lot of time. (laughs) People would rush, like, a park open. They would, like, dads would rush to, like, get a spot in line and stuff. It was a whole thing. That is quite a bit. Uh, Yeah. Um, Overall, I don't know. I'm just, I'm. I'm very happy that little girls are growing up watching Frozen and not The Little Mermaid. Yeah, now, and that's something I like. Never, I was in the park and I would see this little girl, and it was even a little boy at one point was like just belting out "Let It Go," and I was like, you know, that's really nice. Yeah, <laughs> that it's not part of your world or something. We don't it's... don't change the pronouns if you yeah. guys if you're saying this. I do not when I sing "Let It Go," no. and um, it's it's good to be singing female things right there's a there's a few covers on youtube that change the pronouns and and change queen to king as yeah well. no qu- changing queen to king that's the thing i've and seen i was yeah. like don't do that you need to understand that the inclination for you to do that um is a uh there's a statement on you know valuing your masculinity but valuing that is inherently devaluing um Feminine. femininity and because you feel the need to who, be offended by a queen right like there that's was bad. a guy who had a the changed pronoun version of it in his car who i worked with and he actually said at one point like he was also someone who like now looking back on it definitely was like an actual misogynist it's not even just like, <laughs> sexism like he actually did not like women now that i think about it but um he said at one point he thought the male version of the song was better and i was like and, oh, and i need actually, to jump and, out of your car mid yeah. mid drive yeah let's do that i need to tuck and roll an actual um, misogynist yeah no literally i've never like actually met one of those before like because people you misuse i think the word sexism and misogyny a lot because uh, sexism I, is... I think that they are more frequent than you might they're remember. more frequent than uh. than than I probably would admit, but at the same time, I've never like been face to face with someone who like I realized like actually hated like and like very like overtly. People do like, tend to hide it in person. That, yeah. he, that he hated women, so I was like, "Why am I in your car right now?" If you look at, I mean, we were we were all going to Taco Bell. It is, so. it is you were going to Taco Bell. Yeah. Oh man, that was a very vital part of the story. It's more evident in internet comment sections, I would say. Yeah. That... Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's, I've seen them on the internet, but it's like to see someone in person who, like, you've known for a while, and then to be like, wait a minute. I they lurk, you're... they lurk among us. <laughs> be vigilant. Um, but yeah, I know, he had one of those, and I was like, this is stupid. Play the real song. So... I mean, it's, it's, it's not inherently incredibly sexist and stuff, right? To replace Brennan's, it's good that you're singing this in general, but uh, yeah, it's not good. In general, then you should feel. Even though you hate BuzzFeed, Dylan, BuzzFeed did a uh, Sam linked it to me. The um, it was a list of thirty three songs that were covers that didn't change the pronouns. That was actually specifically geared towards LGBT youth if they needed, like, if they really liked the song but couldn't connect with it. Now it was like you know, sung by a a different gendered person without changing the pronouns. So it was really nice. That's good. Okay. Lists. Lists. Uh, I mean, not Buzz. Let's not get confused and say I just said BuzzFeed is good because it is not. But that specifically is good. Okay. Uh, I'm Dylan Heisen. That's Mel Moyer. Uh, you can find our social media links and everything at overlyanimated.com. And you can support our Patreon at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thank you to our current patrons if this will load. But let's see if I can do it with time. I had Shayna, Mitch, Andy, Beatrice, Cordell, and Nate. Uh, oh, but I just I just did them in a random order, so yeah. I, I'm not gonna. Yeah, you gotta figure it out. Hey, uh, 
Fever Mitch. Mitch. Who did I do third? Andy. Andy. Buzz. We're gonna ignore my phone ringing and just keep going. Power through. Uh, Buzz Lightyear. I don't know if you can hear it or not. I assume so. Cordell University and Nathan Fillion. This is our longest podcast, so that's good. Talking about Frozen, Um, surpassing our Incredibles discussion. It's because there were songs. There were songs to discuss. Uh, Last thoughts on. Okay, it's just not going to stop. Okay, <laughs> last thoughts on uh, Frozen or things in general. Life. That's a that's a dangerous thoughts on life. <laughs> well, no. Where do I start? I got pumpkin hummus. Okay, that's. I, I'm curious how that tastes, but <laughs> I will let you know. Okay. Uh, Frozen's good. Watch it. Try to watch it in a bubble and filter out the the social stuff surrounding it and what people the hype and all social that filter out the hype not the social not progression the social yeah. i'm sorry the, the hype <laughs> yeah. uh, around it and watch it that way and see what you think i genuinely like i i genuinely think we are a better world for having frozen in it and um i also think it's a good movie so like both of those combined make me very happy with the happy dylan happy dylan okay uh thanks for listening guys we will see you next time it's coming out on wednesday i don't know what's happening on friday yet so stay tuned uh we'll see you next time guys thanks for listening bye adios